Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Vida Glow, the global number one marine collagen brand and leaders in the ingestible space. It is estimated that globally around 1% of healthcare research and innovation is invested in female-specific conditions. Recognising female health is under-researched and underserved, VidaGlow has applied its female-first, concerned solution approach to the health category with the launch of their Women's Health Range, a science-backed range of health supplements meticulously formulated specifically for women based on their unique physiological requirements. The range includes GutPro, a powerful multi-strain probiotic that goes beyond standard probiotic supplements, De-Stress, an orange-flavoured chewable liquid burstlet designed to relieve symptoms of stress and mild anxiety, Prenatal Plus, an advanced two-in-one prenatal supplement that supports preconception and pregnancy, and Multi360, a once-daily super-strength multivitamin specifically formulated to support the overall function of the female body. What's more, VidaGlow are donating £1 for every women's health product to my charity, Lady Garden Foundation. If you haven't already, go check out the new range online at www.vidaglow.com. That's www.vidaglow.com. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space. Each week, we chat to a different human being who tells us about their experiences trying to change the face of women's health. And this week, we are joined. I'm so excited about this. This is such a long time coming. I can't believe this is happening. With the founder of Vida Glow, Anna Lay, the force behind the leading ingestible beauty brand, along with health expert and mental health advocate, resident GP on ITV's This Morning, Dr. Sarah Kayat. And we will be doing a deep dive into the topic of women's health. Before we do that and look at where women's health is at today and how we can support our own health as women, I think we need to wind the clock back with you, Anna, because you are the brains, the beauty, <laughs> <laughs> and you know the the inspiration behind Vida Glow, and it's a, it's a brand that I've known for a long time because I've been taking your collagen, but I was actually really moved to hear how you came to work in this space because you actually was were struggling quite severely with hair loss. Yes, that's right. So I I discovered collagen because I was taking every supplement I could find for hair, skin and nails, but in particular for hair loss because I had quite significant hair loss from, I believe, I mean, I've only ever had one journalist ask me this, but I believe it's because I have Von Willebrand's disease and I had lots of operations in my late teens and early 20s, which led to a lot of hemorrhaging. And I, I was only diagnosed with um, Von Willebrand's when I was... Uh, pregnant with my first child, actually. Can you just 
tell the audience what that is? It's a blood clotting disorder and it's actually not incredibly dangerous unless you've had an operation. So usually they'll give you like a factor eight into your veins to clog your blood and I've had four cesareans because it's genetic so there's no instrumental delivery, um, forceps or vacuum. So we've had to have cesareans and actually two of my cesareans were under a general anaesthetic because my blood platelets didn't um, cooperate I suppose and so there was too high a risk of putting a needle into my spine an epidural or a spinal block so I was under a general for two of my births. Minding back the clock I had precancerous cells in my cervix sin one and then sin two and so I had cone biopsies and when I was young and I've also had my tonsils removed and from those operations I hemorrhaged significantly and they were within about two years and then I had to go back into surgery several times, both for my tonsils and for SIN 1 and 3, um, to stop the hemorrhaging. So I actually think it was that significant depletion of nutrients from the blood loss that caused the hair loss because the hair loss only happened after those couple of years of, of, of those operations. But it was like a Labrador, you know, like on white tiles with black hair, it was just shedding everywhere. And nothing I took really worked until I had discovered this product in Japan where collagen supplementation and in, in Asia in general is very widely accepted and has been around for a very long time. Really? Yeah. So I went to a restaurant, they asked if I wanted my soup infused with collagen. Mm. I went to the gym, I was asked whether I wanted a collagen water. So this was very new um, in 2012. I felt like collagen was Botox. So, uh, you know, I, I took enough home because I was interested enough in this product and I, I was told to take three a day, which you absolutely do not need to take three a day mm. to get results. Um, and it was those real tangible ven- benefits that I saw from collagen supplementation. Aside from hair loss, things like the plumpness in my skin, how fast my nails were growing was borderline annoying actually. Mm. And it was just this, and it's called Vida because I was born in Brazil and Vida means life in Portuguese. So Vida Glow. And, and we launched with one product, which was our original marine collagen, uh, which is still I mean, today that product sells one unit every four seconds around the world. Um, And so even though we started as a collagen brand where collagen wasn't the beauty buzzword that it is today, I feel like we've really expanded into a much more targeted, concern-led approach um, to beauty and now into women's health. I hadn't understood. I knew your story about hair loss, but I didn't understand about the hemorrhaging. Can I just ask you, I've got a couple of questions really, and one is what happened when you, when you, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what that is, and might mm. be like that, you know, what, what, what happens when you hemorrhage after? Because you said it's within two years, so it's not immediately afterwards. No, no, it was, it was within a, a two-year period that I had my tonsils removed, and I had the sin one, and Got then it. sin three. Got it. Um, and that was just picked up when I had a regular pap smear for the first time when I was 19. Got it. So then I had a scrape, and then I had a cone biopsy. Okay. And so then that was. So what happens is actually quite awful. Um, When I had my tonsils removed, I was back at home. It had been four days after the operation and I just started bleeding out of my mouth. And the interesting thing about when you have blood coming out of your mouth and when you swallow blood, blood comes back out because you can't digest it Mm. and it's black. Mm. And so then I went to the hospital because I knew that was something quite wrong. But by the time I got to the hospital, there was so much blood coming out. It's like it was like a scene out of sore. But instead of being red blood because I was obviously swallowing it because it was out of my mouth, I was then having to vomit it back up. And it's like black, gluggy. It's, and so I had to have an emergency operation to stop the, the, the bleeding. And with the cervical bleeding, that was awful because in the end they had to, one of the first time they had to cauterize me when I was awake. 
uh, because there was no time to put me under to actually stop the bleeding. And then once they did that, I went in and I rem- I'll never forget it because they said to me, no eating for 24 hours, but I was starving. And the reason they want, don't want you to eat is that in case you need to go back into surgery again, it's dangerous if you've eaten, you know, that's why you're always fasting before a cesarean or whatever. But of course I had eaten because I was really hungry and I broke the, the rules. And, um, so then the worst part about having to go back into surgery after that was that pain in the, in your throat from them having to put the tube down so you don't choke on your own mm. gunk. But what happened with that hemorrhaging is that they put a vaginal pack in, which is like a wet, is that the best way to describe it? It's like a wet cloth, basically. Yeah, it's a really absorbent piece of material. Mm. Exactly. And it's like a cloth that feels wet. Mm. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, maybe my catheter's leaking because I could feel the like something rubbing against my leg and I was with my dad at the time and I said dad I think my cat can you look and he had a look and actually I was bleeding bleeding through the vaginal pack um with this last cesarean which was actually I had I was able to have an awake which was the most amazing experience but about four hours after he was born I also um had a hemorrhage and they had to do what's called a a fundal rub Mm -hmm which <laughs> was one of the most painful experiences I've ever had, whereas they manually have to contract the uterus by hand um, with one hand and then the midwife. She was actually pregnant. Oh, my God. On her knees oh, my God. Oh, my God. And oh my the God, other one's on. scraping the, the blood out. So it is, oh. it is, von Willebrand's disease is serious if you have an operation. Well, but, also, if you live in the outback, I mean, this was all in Australia. Yes. And you live in Sydney? Sydney. So there are hospitals. Yeah. Like this stuff is like really, really scary for (laughs) everyone everywhere. But if you're like living in a Western kind of like affluent city, but if you remove yourself from either having the privilege of being supported financially or you just live like, I don't know, if you live in like a farm in like the outback of Australia, what happens? Well, it's not like hemophilia, for example, where you knock yourself. So it's... You can't die from it. Surely, Dr. Sarah, you can die from it. I mean, anyone can die from bleeding in excess, um, but because it's not considered as, uh, I guess, as severe as something like haemophilia, it's usually more controlled. So if you know you're about to have an operation, if you know you're about to go into a situation where it could be dangerous, they tend to control the situation a bit more. Okay. So the person that knows they've got But I wasn't diagnosed until I had my first baby. So we didn't know why I was bleeding. My next question, actually, you've already kind of like headed towards a little bit was about you're having to give birth to your two of your children under general anesthetic. Yeah. I wondered how that was and is for It was you. terrible. It was a terrible experience. And I, I had really, I've had a lot of birth trauma because my first, I found out at 36 weeks I needed to have a cesarean, which crushed me. And, of course, now in hindsight it really doesn't matter how you have your baby. But no. I think as when you're planning on a natural delivery mm. with a doula and you get told just very matter-of-factly because in my experience with doctors, especially specialists, is that they're wonderful but they actually don't talk to each other very much mm. and they really stay in their lanes. Do you find mm. that? So, like, for example, my hematologist was like, by the way, it's a no instrumental delivery. So I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means. I'm not a doctor. So then I go and see the OB and he says, so I got a letter from Dr. Tang saying it's a non-instrumental delivery. And I'm like... Yeah, I don't know what that means. He said, well, that means I can't use forceps or vacuums. I was like, oh, okay, well, I wasn't planning on using that anyway. And he was like, well, yeah, it's not as simple as that. Quite often vaginal births do end in instrumental deliveries. So what am I going to do if we have a state of emergency? And now knowing so many women that have given birth and so many, actually most, have used some sort of vacuum or forceps for the delivery, 
you know, and then being explained that actually if the baby has von Willebrand's and we use a vacuum or a forceps and it causes bleeding to the brain. So then you have to make these really instant decisions. And then I think the stress of that, I went into labour early at 37 weeks and his lungs weren't quite ready. So he was rushed off straight away into intensive care and spent a week in an incubator before I could hold him. That was my first where I was awake. The second one, Henry, I thought, okay, I know I'm going to have a cesarean, but I'm going to, it's going to be an active cesarean where I get skin on skin straight away and there's a lot of options for women who want to have a cesarean in that way. And the anaesthetist called me at 6 p.m. the night before I was scheduled because, again, they don't talk to each other and said, I've just looked at your blood platelets. I can't put a needle in your spine. So I said, oh, yay, I get to try for a VBAC. Like, I mean, how ignorant. But really, when you're not in that field, you don't know. And he was like, no, 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 I, I have to put you to sleep. And I just was driving home from... And I just remember sobbing like a baby to this anaesthetist. And he was so understanding because his wife had a four-week-old baby. So he said, I'm, he was so disappointed for me, but that was the reality. And then with my daughter, I didn't care. I said, I don't mind, but can you please just not tell me the night before? So I'd love to have an active cesarean, but if my blood platelets don't cooperate, I'm happy to have a general, but could I just have a couple of weeks notice? And so they told me at 35 weeks that my platelets were really not cooperating and she was born at 37. And just to make it super, super clear for everyone that's listening, your daughter, who was born 12 weeks ago. No, no, that's oh, my this fourth. Is your, that was your fourth. <laughs> my okay. fourth was amazing okay. because I went into his, I had four miscarriages after my third child and until I got Albert. And so when I went into my 10-week scan, I said to my OB, I just want a general. Let's book it in at 38 weeks. Okay. I don't want any fuss. And okay. he was like, okay. But he wasn't really into it. He really wanted me to have an active cesarean. But I was like, I can't deal with the head noise mm. of trying for the birth and then being disappointed again. So this time I'm just booking in a general. And then once I did my diabetes test at the 28 weeks, I knew he was in cahoots with my hematologist because the two of them would have the exact conversations with me <laughs> at separate appointments. And <laughs> now I was they like, are talking yeah. to each other. You don't like, like that. Exactly. Fourth <laughs> baby later, they were talking to each other and my anaesthetist as well. And so, that, and I didn't want to keep doing the tests to have the active cesareans like I did with my first three, or the 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 the, the middle two, because it's like nineteen tubes of blood that they have to take every month. It's a lot of blood tests and extra appointments. And with already three kids, I couldn't be bothered. But in the end, I think it was at thirty weeks he started the conversation, saying, "I really want you to have this experience. It would be amazing for you not to be under a general. It would be great for you to be able to hold a baby. You've never held any of your children once you've given birth." And so then that started the conversation. And then in the end, the gods aligned and I had a normal cesarean, which was actually quite a beautiful experience. Um, it was a lot less clinical. I had my playlist um, with my music. My husband was in the room with me. We got There was no rushing. It was he came straight out and onto me um, and onto my chest and it, he was feeding in recovery. So it was actually quite beautiful. He then got a staph infection when he was four days old, so we don't. <laughs> And do you feel like some of, I mean, there, there's the genuine kind of like desire and want as a woman to have a child in the way that you want to, but did you feel under pressure from society to have a particular birth? I would say probably the first time around. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, Dr. Sari, you're pregnant as well, so you could probably relate to this. But I find that with your first child, it's impossible to get past the birth. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like that's all you can think about is the birth. And it, it's it's bizarre because we see women with babies all the time. But for me, I read every book by Ina May Gaskin and Spiritual Midwifery and I had affirmations. Like, I mean, I laugh at it now because I don't know anyone's birth who has been straightforward. But, you know, I think there is a real, I think most women, and I had a midwife say this to me in hospital and I was really moved by what she said because at the hospital I gave birth, they had this big sign about what's in formula and what's in breast milk. And with form, with breast milk, it went all the way to the floor. And then with formula, it was, uh, it was much smaller. And I said, gosh, that's, I've never really looked at that sign before. Like it's quite impactful. She said it is, but most women want to breastfeed. But actually for something that's so free and natural, it's very unnatural, isn't it? Mm. I mean, my fourth time breastfeeding has been by far the hardest experience. And I think it can be really crushing for women when you are sold this idea that you'll have this baby and it you'll push it out and it will be serene and then you'll have no drugs and then you'll go on your breast. And actually birth and postpartum really don't work like that at all. And I was floored fourth time around. Um, this has been by far my most difficult postpartum. And and yet you choose to get on a plane 12 weeks <laughs> after the baby arrives and go on the happy vagina for Yes, hours. well, yeah, well, I am going on a four-week holiday after this, okay. so don't feel too sorry okay. for me. <laughs> I mean, I think the most important thing, surely, in life in general, particularly in terms of this topic that we're talking about, is that peace of mind for you as a mum mm. and therefore acceptance of yeah. you and your journey and, you know, genuine self-love and self-care mm. is the best thing that you can do for your children. Yeah. From when they are created all the way through to the point they don't need you anymore, which will be never. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in case you didn't like work that bit out <laughs> yet. <laughs> I don't even have kids and I know that. <laughs> and then you also mentioned just now that you, um, that, that, that you broke, you said, you said something like, um, cause of, so of course I broke the rules. So yes, I, I, are you are you quite naughty? <laughs> I you know it's are you not, a rule breaker? It's I am a little, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean think, that would explain the success yeah, of Vida Glow. I am. And it was funny because I was talking to someone today about she's pregnant for the first time with her 13 week and I mean this is probably not a very good thing to say next to a doctor, but I was like, <laughs> you can eat raw fish, it's fine. Like you're not gonna eat raw fish from the sushi train that's been sitting there, but you can. And yes, you can have coffee. And you know, like I, I'm I am a little bit more of instead of erring on the side of caution, I would say I'm more What's the opposite of that? A risk taker. I think I'm more of a risk taker in my, you know. So. Like having a panic attack around the friend that you don't eat. <laughs> no. There's a great Instagram account called Boob to Food and she talks about this in, in quite a lot of detail, mm-hmm. you know, how soft cheese is pasteurised and yeah. the kind of raw fish that you can eat and different cultures actually eat a lot of raw fish. That's not and... the point, Anna. You just don't want that on your head. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's not, I don't care about yeah. your friend. I care about you. And basically, she ends up in hospital with some kind of like E. coli. I know. I like, I'm I like, I don't want you to be like, you've I'm a very got... relaxed pregnant person when it comes to all of that. You've already got four children giving you up a night. You don't want deep concern. I'm not helping, am I? Anna's going to leave the podcast going, oh, I've got to make my friend, I've got to make my friend. Uh, as you know, Anna, I'm, I'm literally, or as I've already said, I'm a, a huge fan of your collagen. I think I discovered you I mean, actually, I think it was maybe three years ago and your team reached out and said, did I want to try it? And I remember saying to my agent, oh, another collagen brand, okay, why not? Mm. <laughs> and also, because she's like totally psychic, she's like, just try it because you never know what will happen in the future. You might end up like getting to know the, you know, anyway. Yeah. And I and I saw immediate results. Mm. I mean, like absolutely immediate results. Mm. And occasionally now, because obviously I have to travel for work if I'm filming and stuff. And if I, if I run out or I can't get it or I, I'm also like, 
if I'm really honest with supplements, I have these periods where I completely forget. Mm. And that can go on for two or three weeks. And then mm. I'm looking in the mirror going, I don't look as good as I used to look. And without fail, if I start taking your collagen, particularly if I do the, I know you said you don't need the three sachets, but yeah. on the box it says you can take up three sachets. And if I hit the three sachets hard yeah, and, you know, make sure that I'm really stringent and I see an immediate plump effect, mm-hmm. I'd be really curious to know in a little more detail how you think it helped your hair can I, because I just don't, and, and Sarah, please, if you have any kind of thoughts on this, how, can you jump in? Because I'm I'm curious about what that does to our internal system that would help. I mean, I think collagen is probably my favourite supplement of all time. And it's interesting listening to you say another collagen brand because it does feel like collagen is a commodity. At Yours the is totally different though. But it's the best it wasn't on the when we started. <laughs> but there's so many things to look for, like what is the molecule weight of the product? Ours is as low as 2,000 Daltons, which is by far the lowest that's available. Where is it sourced from? Is it really sustainable? Because there's a lot of greenwashing that happens. Where is the collagen come from? What type of fish? What is the type of testing that's done? Are there any clinical studies? We will not bring a new product to market unless it's substantiated by quite robust clinical trials. Mm. Last financial year, we spent over a million Australian dollars on clinical studies. Mm. Every ingredient in our women's health range is clinically studied ingredients. Um, You know, like a product like Radiance, for example, which focuses on pigmentation, we did that clinical study by an independent facility in Mauritius where women have more olive and dark complexions and we tested pigmentation on olive skin as opposed Mm. to Caucasian skin. So it's, it's it's a real passion project of mine of of having a product that has integrity and collagen if you take it correctly if you take a good quality product Mm -hmm. and you really need to ask questions you know you need to say where is this collagen because a product that has a 2000 dalton molecule weight and a product that has a 15000 dalton what does that mean very different what does that mean what does that mean it means so the way that collagen works is once say you have it in your glass of water and it passes through the lining of the stomach, it's absorbed and distributed by the bloodstream, mm-hmm. not by the gut. So it's an, essentially it's pre-digested, mm. right? And it travels through tiny blood vessels to the collagen matrix underneath the surface of the skin. So you have your epidermis on the outside, your dermis on the inside and the, the hypodermis or the subcutis, mm-hmm. which is the inner layer of the skin. And that's where the collagen matrix is located. So it does two things, increases collagen levels because you're putting more collagen in. But most importantly is it stimulates stimulates fibroblast proliferation, which is the cells responsible for collagen production in the body. Collagen is the second largest substance in the body behind water. So it makes up our hair, skin, and out. It's a building block of everything, our, bo- our bones, our joints, our teeth, our tendons, our ligaments. So, And we naturally lose that through the aging process. So, And, you know, there's a lot of statistics that get thrown out, 1% a year from 25. The truth is we don't really know. On average, it's one to two. But you know, your your lifestyle, your genetics, um, do you smoke, are you in air conditioning, like what kind of diet, all of those things can be collagen, like accelerate the depletion of collagen in your system. So for me, it's like the perfect base for anybody to take. Um, and I I really think that if you are consistent with, with any supplements, because the, the trouble with supplementation is, and, and, and collagen, if you are consistent within about three weeks, you're, you're pretty much hooked and you do three get days those results. With yours. Three days, I say it's three days. I, I think three days. It's more of a placebo, just between you and I. Well, it's a placebo. But three days. I am a fantasy. It's probably the water you're drinking with the collagen. No, no, no. It's definitely the collagen. I might have been snorting it. It's true. (laughs) But if you are consistent with it, it, I mean, the clinical trials are all between 30 to 90 days, and and the results really differ between, you know, four weeks, eight weeks, and 12 weeks. But if you are consistent with it, you do see results in a really short amount of time if you're taking a good quality product. It's amazing. Yeah. 
at the very beginning, you talked about the strength or the quality. Just for people listening, can you just unpick that a tiny bit, what that is? Is it the same, basically? Like if you buy vitamin C from Holland and Barrett, I always say to people, don't buy it from Holland and Barrett. It's got like, you know, 5% vitamin C in it. Versus if you buy a vitamin C from Solgar, it's probably a much better quality. Is it that same idea? Interesting comparison. Like, for example, for vitamin C, so you need, you know, just say you need a thousand milligrams of vitamin C for the body to produce collagen. The trouble is with a lot of hair, skin, and nail supplements is that they'll have the minimum requirement to make claims. <gasps> and depending on where that is, like for example, in Australia, the minimum requirement to make claims is 50 milligrams, but your body needs a thousand to produce collagen. So like a hair, skin, and nail supplement, right? So then you, uh, it used to be thought that the absorption of pills or tablets were about 20 to 30%, but the physician's desk reference paper, which was updated in 2016 on this particular um, uh topic, it's closer to 10 to 20%. So this is the thing about supplements and why, like when we were talking about the prenatal offline prior, I was talking about the importance of having one tablet a day because most people are leaving their house every day. They're rattling because they're taking four fish oils and a, and a multivitamin. And a, but actually like we need to think about what are we taking these supplements for? How are we concern-led? And, and another thing is that so, for, particularly for women's health is something that I'm passionate about because a lot of supplements are women's health was considered niche until about three to four years ago. And a lot of supplements are actually made for men and then generalized among women because the research that it takes to have supplementation specifically for women is so complicated because of mental cycles and hormones. And women, there's a great quote by Dr. Stacey Simpson. She says, women are not small men. And I think so in order for us to understand what are you taking, whether it's a beauty supplement, you know, when people come to me, I mean, we have so many products now and people are like, oh, should I be taking hairology, collagen and this? I'm like, no, pick one thing. Like what is the one thing that you want? A, you're going to be more consistent if you're taking one thing and then you're going to know what your results are from and also have a concern-led approach. So I think for women's health, like the prenatal, for example, was a huge passion part of mine because I've had nine pregnancies and four live births. And, you know, like having, so I've taken multiple, multiple prenatal supplements and they're often really big. You have to take three to four a day when it's hard enough in the first trimester to take anything. You really should be taking a prenatal three to six months, I mean, ideally six months, but at least three months prior to trying to conceive. And then you want to have folate that's both active and non-active. You want to have a non-constipating iron because I don't know about you, but with progesterone in those first, if you're constipated enough as it is, um, let alone then taking an iron supplement that makes you more constipated, um, having something for morning sickness or, you know, having a DHA that's, you know, like a, a, that's, a really good quality DHA, but then also being able to make it vegan, but most important, taking one a day mm. in a capsule that, mind you, is in a manageable size, mm. you know, because when the capsules are this big, you can't really neck them because you feel so unwell anyway. It's an interesting suggestion, though, to be basing your, uh, you know, your supplement support on, I think it was a beautiful expression, you said concern-led choices. Yeah. So so obviously with your prenatal, you were like heavily invested in yes. it because it was like really personal to you. Yes. And you're like, I don't want to take 300 million supplements. Yeah. And also they didn't work anyway. Yeah. So let's make one that really works and you only have to take one a day. And that's amazing. When you were in the process of developing this absolutely phenomenal new range of supplements for women's health, what what other things that you were kind of targeting? Yes, great question. So what we did, and and all of our formulations takes about two years, except for Clear, which is our acne product, which took about three. But for women's health, we looked at through research, through consumer research, 
from our existing customers and new customers, what are the main health concerns that women amazing are looking at and what what we came what came out of that research was I was interested in bringing out a pregnancy and also from a business perspective it was also like we lose a lot of customers in that trying to conceive and pregnancy phase how do we keep them on you know bringing a, a Vita Glow supplement in, in that fertility space but then what we discovered from our research is that women have a lot of bloating issues digestive issues stress is a major uh, a major concern Hence, of women, the gut, the gut health, health, yes, the gut, the gut health, health and stress and the de-stress. These and, are like gummies; you can chew these. These are amazing. And then uh, overall, like an overall well-being, general immunity, which is our multivitamin. Now, let's take the multivitamin to answer your previous question as an example. Majority of multivitamins have so many ingredients. Our multivitamin has eleven key ingredients that are clinically studied and it's a two-in-one capsule so you're getting a fish oil and a multivitamin at the same time in therapeutic doses that are specifically designed and formulated for women so it's almost like a less is more approach into everything that we there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're going to take a short break. Before we do, I just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the female-founded production company, Pineapple Audio Production. Pineapple create groundbreaking podcasts from concept through to your headphones at the very highest level of audio. Their international team support independent podcasts like mine, The Happy Vagina, as well as major brands like the BBC and Grazia. And they are super passionate about helping young people into the audio industry. To find out more, go to pineappleaudioproduction.com or check them out on Instagram at pineappleaudioproduction. As part of Vida Glow's mission to further educate women on their own health and as a commitment to progress, Vida Glow has pledged a donation of £1 for every women's health product sold and will donate it to Lady Garden Foundation, the women's health charity that helps fund vital scientific research that will revolutionise the treatment into gynaecological health. To learn more about Vida Glow, their range of women's health supplements and their partnership with Lady Garden Foundation, visit www.vidaglow.com. And I loved what you said earlier about women are not small men. So let's come back to that because these are really formulated for women. Uh, 
Dr. Sarah, can I come to you? Because I feel like I've been ignoring you, but I'm literally <laughs> like, I'm like, but I, I mean, I could, we're so off. We're like, literally, I had all these things that I was going to ask you, Anna. <laughs> and we've literally hardly asked any of them because I could talk to you for absolutely hours. But I do, um, Sarah, I want to, you know, I want to get an idea from a medical point of view on supplements because it is uh, one of the areas that is ongoingly controversial. And mm. I feel like Anna's given us some excellent insight into that in terms of it's about the quality yeah um so that's really helpful thank you um I also feel and my community on the happy vagina one of the ongoing conversations that we have that I find really difficult I do think to a certain extent that women are vulnerable to uh, being sold stuff that we kind of are told that we need beauty like off the chart, mm-hmm. off the chart, whether it be fashion or like stuff that we need to do to our hair or whatever the thing is, but then through to supplements as well, it does feel a little bit like that whole area as well. Not not the, the pregnancy period, but I do feel like also women are a bit vulnerable yeah. to being manipulated in that sense as well. So, however, I am a huge fan of supplements and I've always found that they make a massive difference to me when I take them. And as I've said at the beginning of the podcast, I often have these periods when I forget and then I'm like oh I feel better now but I guess is there anything else other than what Anna has said around the the quality that you would add as a professional doctor particularly someone being kind of like quite commercial so you're on television so you're kind of like you're dealing with the nation as a whole that you would add around supplements and and what the what the true use of them is and should be I think you're right in, t- in saying that societal norms have changed what we necessarily need to take versus what might be an additional bonus or what um, society in effect says is beautiful and therefore we must take. But there are also lots of supplements out there that may be necessary to uh, plug in nutrient gaps that people are having in their diets and their lifestyle. In an absolute ideal world, everyone would get all their supplementation through a wonderfully balanced, healthy diet, and we would all just live forever and everything would be great. (laughs) But unfortunately, busy lives, um, not being able to afford some of the, you know, some of the healthier foods that are available, you know, people who have, who choose certain diets, they're all going to be people that may have a nutrient deficiency and therefore might need supplementation particularly in in women's health, there are certain nutrients that we tend to lack a little bit more than men, for example. So iron is a good example because obviously during menstruation, we lose a lot of iron, um, especially if you have heavy periods. And if you aren't able to take in as much as you're losing, there becomes that iron deficiency. And that's where supplementation plays a really good role. Um, Calcium, vitamin D, unfortunately, as we get older, go past menopause, we are at higher risk than men of osteoporosis. And so if you're not eating enough calcium in your diet, if you're vegan, if you know, you, you're lactose intolerant, all of these kind of things, you may, ver- you may need to take supplementation. And, and with vitamin D, we don't get a huge amount from our diet. It's, it's mainly from a reaction for the sun on our skin. In the UK, we only have sun for a very short period of time. And so actually everyone is advised to take 10 micrograms of vitamin D every day between the months of um, October and March. And if you're pregnant or you're lactating to breastfeeding, you're actually supposed to take it all the way through. So I think, you know, those are just some examples of which we may very well need supplementation 
as a woman more so than a man. Do, do you think, so you would actually confirm that you think women do definitely need supplementation more than a man does? And is that mostly because of our changing hormones? It may very well be that they require different supplementation. So, you know, there will be things that a man might require you know, differently to us. Their muscle mass is higher, so they have higher expenditure of energy and, and that might therefore you know, create certain, certain nutrient needs and demands. But certainly there are certain nutrients that, and vitamins and minerals that I've mentioned that would be more appropriate namely the men you know folate for example mm. um most men are able to get enough folate from their diet but but women because their needs go up in pregnancy mm. that's that's another time that you know they're going to need it more so than so you would advocate for human beings to be taking supplements that are aligned with their gender actually not not so like you know if there was like i don't know like if there's a really good multivit that we kind of know has got all the really good high quality stuff in it that's on the shop shelves <laughs> try and say that <laughs> uh, on the shop shelves for everyone to access and it's not too expensive and all those things if a woman was in the store looking at that and she had the question of having that one which is for all sexes or women's one go for the women's one as long as the quality is good and yeah. it's called Vida Glow. <laughs> did I, did I, sorry. Sorry, is that like it? I mean, like it. I, mean I didn't want to say anything, but since you serious. <laughs> they look like this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you Where have... a woman has a nutrient deficit, then yes, ideally focusing it on a woman's uh, brand or, you know, a brand certainly that has put more research into women over men would be preferable. Um, you know, you alluded to the fact that there's so little research done to women, you know, that that we're not just small men. There's, there's you know, over time, unfortunately, research has, has mainly been focused mm. on men. And um, it's just meant that all of the studies or a large majority of the historical studies have been done on men and only small, small percentages have been done on women. And, and, and that, that kind of skews um, what we're taking. You know, we may either be taking something that's not uh, beneficial enough to us or maybe even taking things that could be harmful to us um, based on ma male physiology and male anatomy. It was only in 1993 the legislation was passed globally that we had that, you know, research for women's health in particular was made mandatory. That's only 30 years ago. Mm. Like, I mean, that's quite a shocking statistic. It's a really complicated area, this, um, because the reason that women were... Well, actually, I don't know whether uh, the, the scientific testing that you're referencing, but I, I do know about the legislation changing at that time, was... Uh, I don't, I suppose it's a question. Is, is scientific testing for like a medication for a heart disorder the same scientific testing as happens for supplements? No. Right. So the thing, so, and I know that it trickles down. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to like go, yeah, but it's not the same thing. But yeah, because I do, do deeply understand that that core testing will then kind of like umbrella all testing. Yeah. And I know the thing for me, Sarah, is, and I find this really confusing. The reason that women were excluded from clinical trials was because they tried some medication on some women and then those women got pregnant. They ended up with deformed babies. So at the time, with the knowledge that they had, okay, they decided to exclude. It wasn't, I think sometimes I see on, particularly on social media, I've got like, there's this kind of like, it's so bad. Women were never included in trials. These evil men, they like, they excluded women and like, you know, and I'm like, guys, they were doing their best with the information that they had at the time and actually there's an element because I'm a humanist not just a feminist 
of the, the people that were making the decisions, which were mostly doctors, which were all men, let's face it, but were men, all men, but they were trying to make decisions that would protect women, right? Is that your, do you think, I'm, I suppose I'm really, I just want, that's what yeah. I think. Do you think that too? I think, look, there's or an do element. do you think it was just misogyny and sexism? I oh, no, I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like it's all that all the time. But I do yeah, think, yeah. I do think, yes, in a way they want to protect against, uh, against, you know, any issues with the baby. That is a really fair, you know, fair thing to want to protect against. Um, but I think there's also an element of, of it being a bit more complicated yes. with women. Um, of course, you have to take it's like in... the vaccine when they were like, they didn't even look at the hormones and then apparently it has genuinely impacted estrogen. Like well, part of the it. reason that Great Britain's got an HRT crisis or a menopause crisis, I think is because the vaccine impacted everyone's estrogen. Yeah. So everyone was like... But the menstrual cycle does cause a huge amount of complication and complexities mm -hmm. to yeah. testing. So that is probably also one of the reasons. The other reason is the costs go up, your subject groups of people that you're using has to change. So it was more a generalisation, I would say. Yeah. I think that we're making headways, but... What do you mean a generalisation? What was like a generalisation? Like we, we generalise the results on men to women and then we change the doses. And I thought it was interesting what you said about sometimes we're actually not getting the right doses for women because they're based on studies that were traditionally done for men. Yeah, and 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 they don't include hormones. Exactly. And, and a woman, you know, we have at least two major hormone changes, <laughs> ovulation period, every single month. Mm. Okay, so this is controversial, and I have got no idea what to make of it. But there is an argument. So I've had lots of people on, and some say, like Dr. Sarah, saying, "Yes, absolutely, a probiotic can help your vagina." And then you've got these other sort of like mostly men doctors who go, "No, this is so ridiculous that your gut can impact your vagina." Uh, Dr. Sarah. There have been studies to suggest that certain strains of lactobacillus can help with uh, vaginal health, so to help maintain the pH balance within the vagina um, and therefore reduce the risk of things like thrush or bacterial vaginosis. So I, you know, I, I see that there is a role for probiotics within the vaginal health in the same way that there's a role for them within the stomach, within the skin. skin yeah. um, and, I, and again, Anna, I would come back to you on this then. So, so gut pro, obviously... This is going to be amazing for everyone's vaginas. Yes. And also the gut. I mean, you know, gut, vagina, let's go vagina. But if someone takes, there's a few products that claim to be like a probiotic on the market. They seem to have quite a lot of sugar in them. Maybe you drink them first thing in the morning. I can't quite work out how they can claim to be a probiotic when actually they're just full of sugar because I think sugar counterbalances probiotic and stuff. So my question to you is, does it need to be a really high strength it needs to be the correct strain of probiotic to ah. Dr. Sarah's point. So like, for example, with uh, Clear, we have a probiotic in that as well, but that focuses on the gut-skin access. Here we're focusing on the gut-vaginal access. So it's intimate health uh, and vaginal health. It's working on the microbiome of the gut as well as of, of the vagina. So it does depend on the type of strains. Like, for example, I've had mastitis five times in six weeks, so I've done oh. 45 days of antibiotics and I've changed from fucloxacillin to keflex uh, because uh, it really affects uh, antibiotics. I mean, it's the most antibiotics I've ever taken. I gave you such 
taken in mind. Did you give a big hug my... as well when you came in? Did I hurt your nipples? <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But I am oh. taking, I finished my fifth round of antibiotics this Friday and I just cannot wait because it, uh, I cannot tell you the effect that anti, I, I, I don't, I've never taken so much antibiotics in my life. But unfortunately, mastitis affects me so badly that I would rather recover from a cesarean other than those two days before the antibiotics kick in with mastitis. But we're getting off topic. But the point about that is that, for no, example, I'm having, like, my I'm probiotic- really worried about your breasts. So it's fine. <laughs> the, it's not the, off topic because the hug I gave you was so like, it was a bear hug. <laughs> so like I'm taking a specific strain of probiotic now that will help with post-antibiotic. Do you, do you know what yeah. I mean? There are different strains. But, yeah, can you, but also, you would explain that better than me. In, but in also take it before, terms. right? Take yes. the probiotic before the antibiotic. Like but if you, you often don't know that you're going to need to have antibiotics. But then therefore the take the probiotic but, but all the time. All the time, yes. <laughs> and, I, and I think that gut health, I mean, the, the studies are just increasing so much in the benefits of gut health just for overall well-being. Mm. Can I just come, so, sorry, you, when I said take it all the time, there was a little like, is there um, any situation? I'm really curious to know, is there a situation? Because I was told this by a naturopath. 10 years ago, yeah. that it's good with a probiotic to have a bit of a break, that actually it's good to take it and then have a break from it. Is that still... Well, the, I think the reason my face went a little bit funny is about taking it before the antibiotic or during the antibiotic is that the antibiotic, depending on the type of antibiotic, but it may very well kill off kill it. that bacteria. Um, so it may be somewhat wasted during the, the treatment. And the whole idea of the probiotic is to replace what you've lost. Okay. Um, but not all antibiotics will call all bacteria. So it may very well be that it'd be absolutely fine to do that. But it's just to say that some might might kill off the bacteria that you're just... I personally don't take anti- uh, probiotics when I'm on antibiotics. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Top tip. I had no idea about <laughs> yeah. any of that. Thank you so much. I've learned so much today. I'm li- literally, we are kind of running out of time, but I want to talk about aging because, uh, Anna, one of the things that I love about Vida Glow is that you don't talk about anti-aging. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I actually, last year, I coined it. I decided, I was like pottering around in my flat, probably writing a script or something. And I was like, I'm not going to call it aging. I'm going to call it upgrading. And I, tra- I tested it out. You can say, you know, let's say that you can't run anymore because your knees don't support the run. You can say, I don't run anymore because I've got an upgrading body. You can say, my skin's upgrading. You could walk through a supermarket, I mean, a, 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 a department store, and rather than say to you, would you like to try this anti-aging cream, they could say to you, would you like to try this upgrading cream? And so I'm, I'm, I'm on my own with the movement. I just want to make it really clear that I have no, there is not a campaign. The campaign's me. And, it's, and I'm just like, kind of like, and I, I, I suggest it to Goop as well. And I thought they might pick up on it and run with it, but they haven't. So, but I do really appreciate the fact that you aren't, seemingly interested Not really I mean I really believe in aging gracefully I mean aging is I mean I wouldn't want to be any younger than I am now I wouldn't want to be back in my 20s I couldn't think of anything worse <laughs> you know I, I think that there's a lot to be said with the experience wisdom like like simple things like knowing when to be quiet you know how much you learn uh with age and how important that is and I think that your style is always a lot more cemented as you get older you know the way that you wear your confidence I mean you may not look like you did when you were younger but most I think most women actually look better with age because they just look like a true version of themselves really. Can we also add to knowing when to be quiet because I like that because there's this kind of feeling of coming into a deeper self but also knowing when not to be yeah that's true as well absolutely you know like really knowing that your power and that you deserve to have a voice. We were talk. I was talking about that with uh, 
in, in the taxi today, like the things that you would put up with or you would allow people to say to you when you were younger, you would never allow that now. Like I look back at things that were said to me or, you know, uh, and I just think I can't believe I, I said nothing. That, that would never get past me now, you know. <sighs> so there is a lot of strength in, in, in getting older and I think actually it's quite a beautiful thing. Sarah, what do you think about the media and the pressure that's put on women? Because I, yeah. I also do find it like... You know, for disclosure, I'm like consistently talking on all of my platforms, you know, as, as an actress, but also as, as the host of the Half Journey podcast about, and then I find myself putting the, I always put the Paris filter on my social media stories. Like, and I'm like, Mika, when you know, I mean, like, you know, and then I'm like, who's that in the mirror? That's not me. No, I, I don't. I don't really use strong filters, but, um, you know, I, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I recently did a photo shoot and the difficulty for me as a woman in the media is that my peers are being edited, photoshopped, they're doing so, like yeah. there's all this sort of thing. And it's it's really hard to be the warrior, to be the one that just says I'm not doing any of it. And I just, working in the media, have you seen a change? Do you think it's getting better? Because I feel like we're talking about it, right? Everyone's talking about it. Women who are leading within women's health mm-hmm. are going no more, no more. But then yeah. you've still got, you know, the negative stuff about women in the press. I think it's very difficult when societies, I guess their definition of beauty is quite narrow. That definition has traditionally been based on youthfulness. And I think we are moving away from it with warriors, as you say. Um, but there are certain industries, you know, within the media, entertainment, fashion. And I think they are all still maintaining that youthful appearance is is what's relevant and what is what the competitive thing to, yeah, yeah. to do. Having said that, I think there's something, as you say, lovely about embracing uh, the diversity of beauty, about valuing women's experience and their contributions to life that they can uh, portray because of their age. I think we probably just need to kind of introduce a bit more inclusivity and 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 mm. accepting society but yeah it's, it's, and, it, it's like, hard and, and just as a as a mental health advocate mm. um because I think you know we have a choice as human beings whether to buy into that kind of stuff that's portrayed yeah. in the media but often I think the voice in our heads goes unnoticed so we don't even you know you know the voice in your head that's the real like yeah. asshole the one that like <laughs> says you're, you're and you go Shh, fuck off I'm not go away you know but then there's <laughs> There's there's the other stuff that can be yeah. so like subtle. Yeah. What would be as as someone who is really invested in mental yeah. health care, what would be your suggestion to I'm gonna stick with women. Yeah. To overcome that thought process for women to everyone for me it's about practicing gra- uh, gratitude you can practice gratitude in your everyday life you know the small things grateful for the coffee grateful for this you know this meeting but you can do the same with your body be grateful for the things it can do the functionality that it has the the activities and experiences that it's allowed you to have rather than necessarily focusing on things that it doesn't bring you um, and I know when you're sick or you're unwell or you know you've got health issues it's hard not to focus on those things but I think really trying to to grasp at the things that it it has done for you acceptance actually like I hear you say gratitude but in some ways it's like accepting that this body and this face has come here to serve God's purpose rather than necessarily that it's here to like you know uh, be something uh, that sits within the capitalist realm like you know we're here yeah to be part of life aren't we yeah and accepting what we've been given to 
use within that. Yeah, that's an element of mindfulness in itself. You know, being present, accepting that things, negativity, you know, anything will come your way, accepting that it is there and trying to find ways around it rather than battling against it the whole time. Yeah, well said. Anna, you said that, um, you know, as you've become uh, marginally older, you don't let people talk to you in particular ways anymore. As this is the Happy Vagina podcast, I feel like I've been really cheeky all the way through, but I am going to finish with my final question. And even though you're like a superhero founder, I have to ask you both, (laughs) what makes your vagina happy today? You know what? My vagina is really happy at the moment that I decided to, instead of trying to squeeze into my old jeans, to buy jeans that were two sizes bigger and then I can be really comfortable in. I love that. And I can still wear jeans in postpartum because people tell you you can't. But I love wearing jeans and I thought, fuck it. I'm just going to buy jeans that are two sizes too big and I'm going to rock them. But that's great. You look, I mean, you look so <laughs> And I feel really comfortable because I was trying to squeeze into my old jeans and there's only one pair that fits. And my vagina was really unhappy in that one pair of old jeans that I can do up. So I thought, oh, before this trip, I'm going to go two sizes up and just rock that new look for me. And I'm, I'm happy. That and my is vagina is absolutely amazing. Because actually, two tight <laughs> jeans really do have a bad impact they on. Really I do. can get cystitis, I think, from just wearing my jeans. You know those mum, do you know when the the, the, the high waisted jeans, and you can't but they were tight, and yeah. then they're like, Eat. I'm like, bring back, bring back the low back baggies. Oh God, <laughs> Dr. Sarah, what what makes your vagina happy today? Other than the fact you're pregnant, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So actually, you have, I won't make it. Yeah, happy. I was going to say, I don't think your vagina will be happy about that. But 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 let's face it, it's. Been a happy vagina quite recently oh well yes it's seen some action um what makes doing nothing makes my vagina happy so for example uh avoiding every product out there trying to get you to do shit to spray it to to, to make it apparently cleaner apparently smellier apparently all of these things just do none absolutely of them. Absolutely outrageous, disgusting. Don't put anything on yeah. them. Disgusting, absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Well, I don't normally share what makes my vagina happy, but as I'm walking out of this podcast with some of your gut pro, my vagina is paying, I'm I'm paying it forwards or, or anyway, it's excited about trying the gut pro and um, I will report back to everyone in the community about the intimate details of how the gut pro works on my vagina and vulva health. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank You've you. been absolutely amazing, both of you. Thank you so much for having me. That was really fun, ladies. Yeah. Thank you. Well done, <laughs> team. I'm Mika Simmons. That was founder of Vida Glow, Anna Lay and Dr. Sarah Kayat. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you tuned in to last week's episode with Laura Whitmore as we do an even deeper dive into women's health. And a very special thanks again to our partners of this episode, Vida Glow. To learn more about Vida Glow, their new range of women's health supplements and their partnership with Lady Garden Foundation, go to www.vidaglow.com. That's www.vidaglow.com.